now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. It's Thanksgiving Eve. I called my shot a day too early last night, but this time it's official. We are on the eve of America's annual gorge. Looking forward to it. Get my first fried turkey. Noah's going to try gravy. It's going to be a big day tomorrow in the Dace household. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's a D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We, can we have Kim here with us tonight? We're going to do an abbreviated Dace group coming up in uh, hour number two. Also, it's our annual Worldview Wednesday on the Worldview of Thanksgiving coming up in hour three of the show. You don't want to miss out on that. Daniel Horowitz will join us here in about 15 minutes. He'll take us inside politics. And we'll talk about developments on both the right and the left. But, uh, folks, I want to get your take on today. I think today's a, an interesting day in the in the Trump transition. Up until yesterday, um, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised. But, again, it always goes back to your expectations, right? Like, I can see why Ann Coulter, Laura Ingram, and, and Breitbart are are not happy and they're not we're seeing their comments they're talking about they're not happy about what's going on but they they I mean they they all thought this was the second coming i i didn't okay i mean i, I thought at best this is a gentleman who's very likable i liked him quite a bit when i used to talk to him on a regular basis um but uh, he is at best his worldview is at best machiavellian at worst he's a lifelong liberal who adopted some of our talking points in order to get elected and, and we'll see the next four years, which of those it is, because no man, as we like to say on this show, no man, or in Kim's case, woman, no one can rise above their own worldview, right? It's what the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he, out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? We are, what, what we think about all day long and the way we think about it, we will eventually manifest and become, amen? Amen. So, you know, the, the good news of a presidency is it doesn't, when it's over, no one walks away thinking, what was that really about? Everybody knows it's the most searing spotlight in all of the world. It is a daily proctology exam. Uh, it's Robert Stack and Beavis and Butthead do America slapping on the latex gloves and saying, here's today's body cavity search. Every day, every news cycle, nothing is hidden in a presidency. Everybody's character gets revealed. So we'll know. Up until recently, I've been pleasantly surprised, albeit within the, with the qualifier of where my expectation level was. Okay. It's like if you have a couple of kids and one kid is the good student and is a good athlete. The other kid's a bit of a reprobate and in and out of detention and juvie. When the, when the kid in and out of detention and juvie goes to class every day on time for a week and comes home with a, a few C pluses and a B minus, as a parent, what are you doing? Slaughter the fatted calf! My son was once was dead and now he's been found. Where's the purple coat? Meanwhile, the kid who gets it right all the time comes home and gets a B minus on an algebra test. You're like, what happened to you? I raised you better than this, right? I mean, it, a lot of life comes down to your interpretation of events to what? Probably your expectation level going in, don't you think? Sure. So my expectation level was low, 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 
cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller low subterranean low really low. lower than my voice is capable of going low so i've been pleasantly surprised now the last 24 36 hours have not been good all right water eventually reaches this level we're seeing well maybe there is such a thing as man-made global warming uh, no no we're back to the no okay which when we were voting for me was a never today it might be the most trumpian day though of them all because this is the first time trump has truly done something unpredictable is anybody shocked here that it's been a mixed bag so far? It's been some good and some bad. Are we all are we, anybody shocked by that? I bet the house on that. <laughs> yes, I mean that's that's Trump, right? Today was the first time though that he broke a tendency. Today was the first time that he broke ranks. So it begins with Nikki Haley, the South Carolina governor, is going to be his John Bolton, as he was in the Bush years, or Alan Key, in the, Alan Keys in the Reagan years. Uh, she will be his ambassador to the UN. And this is a it's a it's nice on a resume, but it's a position that doesn't give any orders. It just takes them. But this she was one of his staunchest critics. In fact, she just gave a speech last week in D.C. that Trump's victory in November was not an affirmation of Republican values. This is not what our party is. She just said this last week. So this is the first time that the glass ceiling in the Trump transition team has been broken because the sign at the top of the, you know, they have that sign at the top of the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem where the Muslims wrote, God has no son. The, the, at the Dome of the Rock there at, at Trump Tower, it says, uh, shill. That's what the glass ceiling says over at Trump Tower. She's the, she shattered it. She's the first non-shilling appointment. Now we come back today for education secretary. And we'll get Daniel's take on this in a few minutes. I know he'll be skeptical because she's a common core gal. But Betsy DeVos is also somebody from a devout Christian family. They've given millions of dollars to philanthropic and Christian causes and ministries all over the world. She's a charter school advocate. She's a school choice advocate. Yes, she has also have been, has been pro-common core in the past, too. But this is the, she's, the, she's also a Bush insider. She sits on the board of Jeb's organization, for goodness sakes. And the most the most anti-Trump wing of the party was the Bush wing. So this is the first time now that people have been given rewards and, and letterhead and, and titles that didn't have to pay the, didn't have to pay the ferryman, Krista Berg, to get across the river sticks here. They didn't have to, which is, will you shill for me? Will you kiss the ring? So this is the first day now the Trump administration has broken a tendency. What do you think it means, Todd? I'll start with you. You look, you look like you're chomping at the bit. Well, I did hear that it, it might not be so much in terms of South Carolina. I, you you may know this, man. The lieutenant governor of the state of South Carolina was a huge Trump supporter. I don't know his name. And uh, now the, he, the LG, he yes. will become governor. Yes. That's so it. perhaps... That's the and, show and, is and, being rewarded. And, 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 but if this was a one-off, if she was a one-off, that's why I didn't go with that. I think it's McMaster's, his name is the LG in South Carolina. He's a Trump, right. If this was a token gesture, then I would have I would have made this point. This was a clear case. This was a Machiavellian case. Clear the deck, put his own person in there. But it was followed up with Betsy DeVos, a Bush insider. So I think that mitigates some of that real politic analysis a little bit. I also think you guys give Donald Trump a lot more credit with some of this stuff than he deserves. But uh, go ahead, Kim, your thoughts. Well, um, I think DeVos is actually a very dangerous choice. Um, Common Core is systemically the problem 
with um, the Department of Education. And if you're going to continue that particular um, aspect in the federal education system, we're in deep trouble. So, And I don't believe that Trump's going to be hands-on. You know he's just going to like let that go and just... You don't think there's any possibility, because the, there's been very few issues where Trump's messaging was consistent the entire campaign. Common Core is actually one of them. I mean, he has, he has, brought, he, he, he has brought this up independently um, um, by himself, almost from the early stages of the primary. You don't think it's possible President Trump said, I'm going to let you do whatever you want, but Common Core has to go. No, because you don't I think thought, that's possible. No, because I thought um, actually on the campaign, he did back away from, you know, going against Common Core at one point. He just so. disavowed the alt-right yesterday, the group that get, dragged him across the finish line. I mean, no, nothing he said about education or anything else is binding. What do you think, Aaron? Uh, this is just, I mean, it's its so odd. I mean, it's like trying to herd cats making heads and tails of, of what these appointments mean, other than up until today, this point. Um, it was all, we're rewarding um, the best shills, the first shills. We're rewarding them with, um, you know, pri- these prizes of, of positions and, and whatnot. Uh, for, for Betsy DeVos in particular, it just seems like Common Core, support of Common Core and being for school choice are just kind of two incongruent positions. I mean, uh, how, maybe I, I could just be ignorant, Because you're young how, and you've never, you didn't, uh, you, you weren't here for most of the Bush years. This is Bush, this is Bushism. I mean, which is trying to the, split the baby. Yes, the idea that you can merge conservative solutions well, with, with government as the ve- as the vessel. Well, that's just dumb. for those things. And what what happens is that what happens is they get elected on this message because it gives the American people this notion of they don't have to make any tough choices to have the freedom and liberty they want. They don't have to. We don't have to say no to anything. We can just say yes, yes, yes all the time, right? So uh, we can we can do all this conservative stuff, but we can do it through government. And so George H. W. Bush gets don't get, gets elected with thousand points of light and kinder, gentler. That was his. And it's compassionate and conservatism in 2000. And what happens is when these got when they get elected and they get into the White House and they try to actually govern like this, you can't govern like this. Light and dark don't mix. You have to do one or the other. And and then they always end up leaving the White House far less popular than they entered it. So since you're 24 years old, this is new to you. Mm-hmm. This is what the Republican Party has been for. You, Kim, you, you, we're all in our 40s now. This is what the Republican Party's been for our gener- for our time, right? Because right. most of us grew up after came into this after Reagan left office, and this is what it's been—the slowly boiling pot. Yeah, well, the idea that you can fuse these two synergies—I think it's fascinating. We'll find out what Daniel Horowitz thinks when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not trying to win the argument. We're trying to start one. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on Thanksgiving Eve on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's go inside politics. It is still Wednesday, so we still have some business to conduct. Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review. Daniel, happy Thanksgiving to you, brother. How are you? Happy Thanksgiving. I can't wait for some time with the family. So when we talked last week, um, I had uh, mentioned and I even thought this going into the end of last week that, uh, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised with what I had seen thus far from the early days of the Trump regime. 
Uh, Bannon and the questionable aspects surrounding his character notwithstanding. Uh, the Christie people were kicked out. The lobbyists were kicked out. Uh, Jeff Sessions, his attorney general, is a rock-solid uh, rule-of-law conservative. So, I mean, those were moves that uh, had things trending in the right direction. I have to say, uh, and maybe not for the same reasons as you, I think we'll find that out as we discuss this, uh, I, I'm not feeling as optimistic uh, with the developments this week. In fact, I think the last 36 hours or so have um, have been trending in the wrong direction. But let me, let me go to you first on this. What say you about the latest developments with the transition? I'm getting that sick feeling in my stomach. Oh, man. One week of euphoria, I guess, was too much after a year of uh, terrible news. Look, in general, with Trump, we've learned you got to view him differently than anyone else. This is a man who, within 24 hours, will say Obamacare is terrible and then praise socialized medicine. So you got to look in totality the direction he heads, and I still think it's a little early. But what I'm starting to see is a pattern emerging that as it relates to the military, national security, um, immigration, re- really the important aspects of the federal government, I think there's a lot of great potential. And that's embodied through the Jeff Sessions pick and the possibility of Mathis for uh, Secretary of Defense. The problem is when you go to the other two legs of the stool, the fiscal, limited government, social that's where we've always had problems, and that's where there's a consistent pattern. The the picks for – or potential picks for Secretary of Treasury are terrible. Even Democrats are, are uh, being vetted. And then you know, just today, there's news that he's chosen um, a common core supporter, Betsy DeVos from the liberal, the liberal Republican elite donor class, the DeVos family, as the Secretary of Education. This is a woman – who was a board member of Jeb Bush's Common Core Supporting Education Foundation. She's close with Lamar Alexander. I mean, she is part of the armpit of the federal education cartel. I, th- this is very, very disappointing. So earlier today, Kevin Williamson, National Review, he tweeted this, and I quote, regarding Betsy DeVos, uh, who uh, the Associated Press describes as a charter school advocate. And as a kid who grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I'm very familiar with the DeVos family because they are Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, they're a very devout Christian family. They have adopted within their family all kinds of kids. Um, and they have done a lot of, um, of, of philanthropic work along those lines. Uh, they were some of the original Reaganites. Amway was used as a means of helping to fund Reagan's campaign in the early days when he was fighting against the system and the donor class in the in the early 80s. But like a lot of families uh, that got involved early on in the Reagan revolution, you're right. Uh, they have become more big government over the years. Uh, they are staunch social conservatives, but they are more of your George W. Bush compassionate conservative type. So Kevin Williamson, who I think is one of the better writers at National Review, he says on Twitter, regarding the DeVos choice, and I quote, this is an excellent choice. Why do you disagree with that? Sure. I mean, look, hopefully she will be good on social issues. That has been a problem in uh, the Department of Education with mandating transgenderism, and maybe there's something to plow there. But she has been involved through her foundations, through funding numerous, numerous races throughout the country for a school board of education people that supported common core i think she claims to oppose which trump has adamantly said throughout the campaign he was going to get rid of from stem to stern he has said this right exactly and and she at its core 
if if there is anyone you want to make the case to devolve the departments of the states to devolve the funding to the states. I mean, you even advocated, I thought it was a great idea, to pick nobody as a secretary just to make a statement that mm-hmm. it should have no carbon footprint on a federal level. This is the exact wrong person. We have it up at Conservative Review. We just put up from Joy Pullman, the uh, uh, Common Core op- opponent extraordinaire, um, the, the probably the the best authority on this issue, just raising a lot, a lot of concerns from her. I, the whole... I'm just very surprised because... So how are you a charter school advocate and a common core advocate at the same time? Those would seem to be missions that would run not congruent with one another. Am I wrong? No, I mean, I think this is, like you said, the Bush mentality, the Bush big government mentality. You saw with the compassionate conservatism, he was a supporter of vouchers, of private schools, of of uh, religious schools, but he was a supporter of a big federal involvement. Right. I mean, race to the top, Common Core were sort were sort of the progeny of No Child Left Behind, right? Exactly. They kind of came out of that, right? That is what compassionate conservatism is. It's mixing some conservative ideas with the systemically broken federal structure instead of getting rid of it. And if anything, I expected Trump to be a little bit erratic with his choices. They'd be out of the box, not necessarily conservative, but kind of out of the box. This is very, very typical. I mean, this is straight out of Jeb Bush's playbook. I'm, I'm pretty shocked. Do you think this is an opportunity? I don't know why we're shocked. I mean, this guy has had really no discernible ideology for 70 years other than the liberalism he has consistently espoused. But do you think that this is an attempt to essentially grant the the wing of the party that was the strongest and, and most opposed to him all the way until Election Day. We were seeing stories, who would the Bushes vote for, etc. Do you think this is a way to essentially grant them a seat at the court without actually directly um, giving a seat to the to the Bushes, but essentially an opportunity to, 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 to satisfy uh, that particular wing of the party heading into what will likely be a very contentious four years? If that's his intent, he's not doing a good job of it. It's because she's simply not notorious enough. I understand the family is considered socially conservative. But as as Secretary of Education, had he wanted to give a bone to conservatives, he would have picked Larry Arne, no doubt about it. Um, And that would have truly been out of the box, and it would have been respected by all sides. Um, So I I don't think you accomplish anything with this pick because when it comes to the sphere of education, the most vocal constituency is the anti-common core constituency, and they are up in arms. Daniel Horowitz is here with us, taking us inside politics here on uh, the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network. And, you know, one of the things about this particular hire is is it has Reince Priebus written all over it much more than Steve Bannon. And, and we've had people telling folks like you and I, I mean, after all, you're Jewish, so I'm sure you're very concerned about some of the anti-Semitic associations of that Bannon's alluded, have been alleged to be connected to. And, and one of the things we've had some of our fellow conservatives tell us in the last couple of weeks since the transition began is, yeah, Forget about the baggage. He'll make sure the globalists, the cucks, the bushes, that they, that's, he, that's why the Christie people are gone. He'll make sure those people don't get in. So just keep your mouth shut and put up with it. Well, what's your view of that now, Daniel? I want to get your answer to that question when we come back. More with Daniel Horowitz here in a moment.
listening to Steve Dace. A declaration of dependence on the laws of nature and nature's God. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dave Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So, Daniel, I teased a question before the break, and at the very least, Steve Bannon has played footsie with some seedy elements in order to cynically get ahead. That's not even a debatable point. That's probably the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is probably things guys like you and I don't even want to contemplate. So let's just say that that's what it's been, the Ben Shapiro philosophy or theory on, on Bannon. And Shapiro used to work for Bannon at Breitbart for several years, so he knows him well. And his theory is this guy's really not some alt-right anti-Semite racist. He just played footsie with these elements in order order to cynically empower himself. Let's say that's true. Now, people like you and I that had some questions about his associations and the and the devolution of Breitbart the last few years to sort of this, um, you know, pro homosexual white nationalist website when it when when it was the conservative vanguard for in our industry for several years. We were told for the last couple of weeks, hey, yeah, forget that baggage. This guy's going to make sure he's the, he's the Rasputin in the inner sanctum there, whispering into Nicholas II's ear. He's going to make sure Reince and his people that, 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 the, that we're going to have conservatives there. That's why we got sessions. That's why Christie is out, right? This is what we guys like you and I have been told for the last couple of weeks. So today, we were, you know, you mentioned the Treasury Secretary. All the people that are even, that are even being bandied about are all phony money people. Well, the Mercers are said to be huge. Uh, real money people. Bannon is said to be a huge real money individual. Now the education secretary is a Bush acolyte who sits on the board of his Common Core promoting foundation. How much power does Steve Bannon really have here, Daniel, if these are the moves that are being made? You know, I think even someone who has the stature of a James Baker, but a conservative version of him that has major gravitas, there's a limit to what you can do. I'll tell you what I'm also hearing. Everyone's focused on the you know secretary picks the cabinet picks maybe the deputy secretaries undersecretaries but what's important what really ultimately sets the direction is the cadre uh, hundreds thousands of ses workers um and the people below them the below the presidential appointees that aren't appointed by aren't confirmed by the senate schedule c maybe their gs15 the top layer of you know the non-senate appointee leadership who are these people? These are the nameless, faceless bureaucrats or appointees. I'm hearing that a lot of the Bush-Romney people are, are, are wiggling their way in, even in the Justice Department, where we thought we had that lockdown with Jeff Sessions. But I'm just telling you, you could have the best guy you want in charge of that. If you don't have a concerted movement around you to flush out the toilet from day one, it's not going to happen. So I think Steve Bannon will have a couple of – plays on national security on immigration but when it comes to other stuff the inertia of the system will pull him back his nature of being a business executive which a lot of people thought was a good thing but you and i always viewed as a bad thing in politics because you look you think very conventionally i think it's going to pull him back to earth you're seeing it now look i'm watching as i'm talking to you on breitbart there's an article criticizing his secretary of education pick so you see they're not even getting their person in there i'm I'm glad that they're somewhat intellectually honest now and they're willing to criticize trump that is definitely progress but i think his power is going to be quite limited Hmm. 
Nikki Haley for United Nations uh, ambassador. That was the first pick Trump made that was not a shill for him. That's the first time he's gone with a non-shill. That's a position where uh, you don't call any shots. You just take them. But but does that say anything to us that that was the first position where he did break ranks and get away from his uh, from his inner sanctum? And we've seen that again here with with the the DeVos family as well with education. So are we getting out of the number one qualification to be in Trump's administration as you had to shield for Trump? You know, I think time will tell because this is not a tier one position. I still doubt that he would give a tier one position to a former opponent, uh, particularly Verlin opponent. Did you, were you surprised she took that? She clearly wants to run for president. How is U.N. ambassador? Ask John Bolton, ask Alan Keyes. How's that a path to running for president? I just don't get it. I, Governor I, is a good path to running for president, especially if you're a female minority, one who's halfway conservative. That's a pretty good path. I just don't see by, why being U.N. ambassador is. Why in the world would you give up two years as a, as a governor of a sovereign state to be a, a thankless U.N. ambassador? And also, she literally has no foreign pol- policy experience. It makes no sense. Well, maybe that's it, why she did it then. She fill, figured she had to fill that line of the resume for later on. I don't know. That, 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 that's what it appears, and she needed to hold over because governor would only hold her over two, two years. Maybe this can get her four years. Maybe she could you know, be secretary of state for a second term if somehow you get elected. There's no question what her motivation is. I can't figure out what Trump was thinking unless this winds up being the extent of his olive branch. More inside politics when we return. We're going to turn our attention towards the Democrats. Some interesting things happening on the left, and we will discuss them with Daniel Horowitz of Conservative Review in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. So, what if I told you every phone call you make is helping to fund progressive causes and politicians like Planned Parenthood and Hillary Clinton? You'd probably stop making phone calls, right? Well, the fact is, your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your beliefs, and there are progressive, radical, liberal phone companies spending tens of millions of dollars to remove conservative leaders from office and fight for liberal social change. So, what's a patriot like you to do? Well, you can start by calling my friends at Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and text, high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and donates up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. You get the same quality service, competitive prices, and you get to help causes you believe in. Call Patriot Mobile right now at 800-A-PATRIOT or go to PatriotMobile.com. Mention promo code Steve at checkout and receive $35 in free activation fees for up to two lines. Call 1-800-A-PATRIOT or go to PatriotMobile.com. Mention promo code Steve. Selling out isn't a virtue. This is Steve Dace. Back here, taking you inside politics on Thanksgiving Eve here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Speaking of which, Daniel Horowitz joins us from CR to take us inside politics each and every Wednesday, including the night before we gorge. So, Daniel, let's let's turn our gaze leftward. Some interesting things are happening in the Democratic Party, and I've already warned our audience, I'm going to spend a good deal of time covering this in the coming months and years, because 
we we still largely live in a kingdom of a two-party duopoly. It is not good for the republic to have one of those one of those sectors, one of those two towers, if you will, go completely off the Marxist binge, off a cliff, because eventually they'll drag the center to the left with them. It, it just a, an argument with the pace of that dragging will be, and we've seen this for the last generation. So we're we're watching the Democratic Party. On one hand, they are having this debate in the House about making Nancy Pelosi the face of of their opposition again, whether they need this former NFL player, Tim Ryan, who maybe can speak a little bit more to the common man and recover some more of their middle-class roots, as opposed to being this bi-coastal party of urban progressives who think if you don't want a creepy cross-dresser grunting in the stall next to your daughter, you're a bigot, right? They want to try and broaden their appeal a little bit more, which is interesting because at the, at the same time, they like to brag they're going to win the popular vote by about 2 million votes, but they're sitting there saying we got to broaden our appeal. And then you you contrast that, though, with the possibility for that Congressman Keith Ellison, uh, with his ties to to Hamas, to CARE, to the Nation of Islam, uh, may end up being really the face of the party in, in, in the wilderness as the, as the head of the DNC. And, you know, for all the talk we're getting about the alt-right, something you and I have decried this entire election, there are some really, as Matt Lewis of the Day Caller pointed out to today, there's some really questionable associations here with Keith Ellison as well. So uh, your view on, on what's your, the dichotomy you're witnessing in the Democratic Party, this sort of existential conflict they're, they're ra- that's raging about how to react to what happened on November the 8th. See, Steve, I disagree a little bit with the premise here. I don't think there's much of a dichotomy going on there. I'd like to see Tim Ryan there in the race for a speaker get more than 30 uh, votes and in the conference of about 170, 180 Democrats. And even the votes he'll get is probably only the result of Nancy Pelosi's electoral failures. But in terms of the party, there's a brain drain. There's adverse selection going on there because they're losing any normal part of the country. So the House districts of the Democrats are now ideologically, racially, demographically, geographically gerrymandered into oblivion. These all these people are nuts. There, there's not a single moderate. Maybe Jim Cooper of Nashville, Tennessee, I think, is the only one that comes to mind out of 175 or so members. So I think the party has be inevitably, invariably become this way. I don't think they're ever going to get it back. Um, Nancy Pelosi will be speaker. Chuck Schumer will be the uh, um, you know he's going to be the Senate Minority Leader. And let me tell you, when Howard Dean is the moderate choice. For DNC chair, this party has shifted so much. And Steve, I agree with you that this is dangerous because the American people respect two parties. This yes. is what we saw. It's everything's. I binary. mean, look what happened November the eighth. Despite the historic negatives of Donald Trump, despite the qualms that they had, as my buddy Bob Vanderplatz likes to say on our show, the people voted for an outcome, which was they voted to get rid of what we had because they didn't think we could afford it anymore. Okay, so let's fast forward. This is why I, I want. I think our audience needs to care about this. Let's fast forward four or eight years, and let's say President Donald Trump hits a rough patch, becomes a disaster, has an, a second term like George W. Bush's second term, or a first term like George Herbert Walker Bush. 
Bush's first term, and the country turns against him, and 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 they put up somebody who's essentially a Bernie Sanders Marxist, but non-white and in better packaging, or they go get somebody who is their own Trump, like a Jeff Bezos or somebody like that from to run from corporate America, but doesn't have all of Trump's baggage, so he knows how to make the trains run on time, and he's a true progressive, and and the country is then left with the same choice we just gave them in November, but in reverse, and they decide, you know what, we just can't do enough with, we can't do any more. Trump doesn't know what he's doing. He was the disaster we all thought he was. So even though we don't like the opposition, we have to vote for it because we need change. You see where I'm going with this? That's why this matters. This needs to matter to people, I think. No, this is exactly what it is. This is how Republicans can't even hold the ground Democrats Democrats held on cultural issues just one generation ago. Republic Mike Pence is to the left of where Chuck Schumer was in 1995 on RIFRA. This is where we are. It's because there's two options. It moves that quickly. So when you have an entire political party saying, all right, every family in America has to get two sex change operations, no matter how outlandish that sounds, if they say it enough, it at least gets on the map. It might be a very small minority view, but it gets on the map. And then what does it mean to be a conservative? Well, you only have to get one sex change operation. That's literally where we are right now. Mm-hmm. They permanently realign the contours of political discourse. They've done that the last two decades. Even when they lose, they're going to do that. So I think it's very important. But sadly, Steve, I don't think there's any hope for getting a former Democrat um leadership council guy like Harold Ford in charge because none of these guys would vote for them. So where do they go then from here? Because in many respects, the other way that this works against us, they are so outlandish, they are so to the left, that it makes us hard as conservatives for us to hold Trump accountable to any standard other than he, we're just not, they're, they're just, he's just not as nuts as these people are, right? Because really conservatism nowadays is defined by opposition to liberals and the liberal media. It's not defined by actually advancing anything. It's, a, it's defined by what we're against. And so when they're out there acting out like a bunch of brats in response to Trump, makes us all feel better about Trump, makes us all kind of think, you know, well, you know, let's just let this go because these people are so bad. That's exactly what we can't do. That's exactly what sandbagged us during the Bush years when we just carried water for everything that was wrong. We promised we wouldn't do it again. But here we are. These you know, associations, a lot of the ethical issues with his business interests, these are problems. They ha- people need to make demands that he cut them loose. We can't defend that, but I find myself – having no appetite to do it in light of what the left's doing. This is a race to the bottom. And, and look, this is why I wanted a new party, and I still believe in my heart of hearts we're going to need one one day. It's just there's not much of a appetite for one. But absolutely, we need to be focused on a positive agenda, on judicial reform, on federalism reforms. There's a lot of stuff we need to be doing. This whole thing with the Democrats is a distraction. One other thing, Steve, I'm watching the Democrats make the following play. I think they believe the demographic time bomb is still true. They just have to be patient. So that's why they're going to continue moving left and, you know, hope that they could hold off enough that eventually they could win the Electoral College with the popular vote. Daniel, always a lot of thoughtful material each week. Have a great Thanksgiving. All right. God bless you, brother. See you next week. God bless. Take care. We'll have some response to what we just heard from Daniel Horowitz here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. So 
surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. Very interesting watching the reaction today to the Betsy DeVos announcement. Because I got to tell you, my people I respect and friends I have in the movement, it is split right down the middle 50-50 on this. And it appears the only objection to her is Common Core, and that she's with us on a lot of other things like school choice and things of that nature. Of course, Common Core is a very big objection. So that's where the division is. If if I don't know too many people in our movement, in our industry, that are actually pro-Common Core, it really, I think the opinions of her sort of come down to... Is that an issue that you have a raised awareness of that's a priority issue for you? If it is, then she's a non-starter. If it's not, then you look at her record on, on other issues that you care about involving education in the context of that. But uh, it's it's fascinating to watch the right's reaction to her appointment uh, throughout the course of today leading up to tonight's show. But, you know, the, I thought we had a, a lot of interest or I thought Daniel had a lot of interesting things to say. What stood out to you, Aaron? I'll start with you. I think the biggest thing uh, for me is um, just this notion that um, because of how far left the left has actually gone and continues to go, it's very hard for us to motivate ourselves to actually try to um, keep Donald Trump in check. And I have no idea what the heck that even looks like. I wouldn't like. even know how you keep a billionaire who doesn't want, who doesn't need the job, doesn't have to have the job, okay, the, could walk away at any time he wants and not give a flat rip. How do you keep such a guy in check anyway? Um, well, you don't vote for him, but. We did. So that's um, that's already kind of, um, you know, down the river now. It's just it's it's again, it's this Kobayashi Maru, this catch 22 for actual conservatives. It is continuing because uh, on the one hand, uh, we, we don't want to just settle for anything and everything and holding the water for Trump or carrying the water for Trump and whatever he might do. But at the same time. Uh, he's not as bad as those on the left. Um, it's it's just, it's not a good position to be in. What do you think, Todd? I thought his comments on uh, the mediocre picks regarding uh, Treasury and other positions uh, were interesting. And basically that this is, across the board, some people are inspired uh, about some positions, some people aren't, about the, the, the DeVos, who I'm not familiar with, but you know, like you said, I mean, there, there's a schizophrenia about the, the, the same person. She's she's a stormtrooper. No, she's the end of the, of the world, I, which all leads me to believe this is basically exactly what we should have expected so far from yep. Donald Trump. We were, I, we've been saying this before he became president. A schizophrenic court of owls? We were, we were bound... You and I, the people in this room, were bound to be pleased with some things he did because he's all over the place. He's just he's going to trip into things that we want. And maybe just because he's trolling people we dislike. And the exact opposite is going to be happening. I, I am not shocked by anything I've seen so far. We clearly aren't seeing an ideologue. We already knew that. So this is par for the course in my estimation. Kim, you, you learn when you have kids to lower your expectations to what they are capable of accomplishing. So non- understanding what Trump is capable of, I would take Jeff Sessions at AG for, in, as a trade for a bushy at education every day and twice on Sunday. What say you? Well, that one's tough because I did some more research on Jeff Sessions, so... <laughs> it's on! Hour two is next. <laughs> Listening to Steve Dace. Do you 
are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Back here with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's a D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And we are going to have an abbreviated Dace group since it's our last show of the week. We'll have that coming up later on in this hour. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is that time of night when our producer, Aaron, gets to set the agenda and ask the questions around here for a change. It's called Three Questions. He can ask us any three things about any three things. There is nothing off limits, but he has to answer the same questions he asks of us. Aaron. Thank you, Steve. Question one, what's the most overrated Thanksgiving dish? Most overrated. (laughs) Um, I've never been... I know this is going to... I'm going to lose uh, Americano points with this. I've always loved stovetop. I don't like the real dressing with the oysters and all that crap in it. That, to me, way overrated. You know, and that's where people, like, put literally eye of newt and wing of bat. (laughs) I hate that crap. (laughs) And, like, turkey neck and gizzards and and all that. What I love about stovetop is I love its homogenization. I love that. It's it's breading, it is basil, it is seasoning, butter. That's stuffing to me. I don't like all the other added extra ingredients. I don't. I, this is Thanksgiving, not your science experiment. So I I don't like that you know that that traditional funky dressing people make. Not into that at all. You know I can add to that. You should add like green chilies and some pecans to that stuffing and no, I'm, I'm totally in with that yeah, I, 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 think I love both of like, those things I'm, I think, I think that'd like be that. fine yeah but the, the stuff where people are literally sitting <laughs> stirring it with a giant wooden spoon and, and like a carburetor comes out no no I will have two heaping servings I'll go back for more but I'm coming close to heresy if not committing it I think the most overrated is the turkey itself because I'm not a big turkey guy I don't eat turkey during the week i don't eat turkey sandwiches i i think there's just something about the holiday that hey i'm i'm addicted to it i will love it but i think there's been so there's the the holiday programming in me but uh, everything else so if you really were rational about it all the side dishes i would stack ahead of turkey Oh, definitely. I'm with you. Um, although I have a new recipe that I've done the last few years, and the Mojo Turkey is kind of a Caribbean jerk chicken turkey type me. thing. I Talk love Caribbean jerk yeah. marinade. That's so great that's, stuff. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm doing now with the turkey, but yeah, that would be it, too. 
Uh, good grief. I don't know. I, I'm back when I actually could eat the stuffing. Um, I, I just thought that it was just kind of dumb. I mean, it's like, what, what? What's the point of this? I could have, I mean, back when I, you know, could eat bread and stuff like that. Why not just eat bread? Uh, why not just, you know, season your turkey with all the seasoning you put into stuffing? It's just, it, it seemed pretty pointless to me. Uh, next uh, question. If nothing stopped you, what Thanksgiving dish would you eat all of? Mm. Like the entire... But just put all, it on your plate and not let anybody else exactly, have it? Exactly, yes. And shame doesn't stop you. Yes. My okay. mother-in-law has this sweet potato casserole. And um, the topping marshmallows is marshmallows, pecans, caramel. I mean, it is insane. And what I do because your sweet tooth is insane. It is. It is. Which you know tells you the amount of discipline I've had to live by to live low carb with the sweet tooth that I have. But you know, sweet potatoes are considered a vegetable, so you know those are actually pretty good for you. But when those come around every Thanksgiving. I like let everybody else get theirs, and then I just take my spoon, and I just take the I just take the topping off, right? So, <laughs> if there was one thing that I could hoard, hide away that no one else would get anything else of, and then the toilet would curse the day my mama gave birth to me later for doing this, it would be I would take that entire tub of sweet potato casserole, just so I could eat all of the topping to myself. That's how good it is. Can you see the smile on my face right now just thinking about it? <laughs> Looking yeah, I think you hear that, me knocking, mm-hmm. and I'm coming in. Kim? Um, my grandmother taught me how to make the lard-based pies. So um, the Ethel May pies, I, I, you know, if it's like chocolate pecan or if it's, you know, cherry or blueberry, anything like that. This I'm so proud of Noah and what he's about to experience because I... I would just oh, it's first time trying. Gravy. I would take the gravy boat. Kid won't shut up. Oh about my it. I just goodness! Really just set it next no. to me. I, I'm kind of with you. Just gravy eat, on everything. Dip eat. the bread in the gravy. Gravy over the green bean casserole. Gravy <laughs> over the stuffing. Gravy is good. That's another overrated dish, by the way. Who really likes that green bean casserole? Do oh, you like? True. No, love it. No, that's true. French yeah. fried onions on top. Well, I like but, the French fried onions. Yeah, I like those. But the, I just I can eat those without the rest of whatever that is. Oh, I, cream I, of mushroom soup. It's it, it, it's cream. Of, it's cream of some young something. We don't even okay. have that anymore at our house. No, good. You're a great American. Thank Aaron? you. Uh, I'm with Todd with the gravy, uh, but that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say the glazed ham because we always have that alongside the turkey, mm. and that is just oh. When it's, it's done good. right, there used to be yep. a chain of places called Heavenly Ham. We don't have. I don't know if they're still it's, in business. They're no. out, they're not in Iowa anymore. And and I've tried it at lots of other places around town or around the country. Nobody did the honey glazed ham better than they did. That's exactly right. That stuff was the that that was the Costco cake of meats. That was a white trash delicacy if there ever was one. My dad um, used to work um, before he retired for a large. Um uh, uh, pork company, pork processing company. You've heard of them, of course. And uh, yeah, he would be able to bring home some of the best, uh, some of the best that they had to offer as far as uh, ham goes. Uh, next question, and I've got a bonus question tonight as well. So we've got three minutes left. Um, will you shop on Black Friday? Never. And so, what will you buy? <laughs> Never. I, I don't. 
He won't leave the basement, yeah. remember. <laughs> yeah, no. Too many good games on, and no. I just, I'm, and that's cool. I mean, I, if, if that's something that's a family tradition for you, I, and I don't know when it became Black Friday. You know, the day after Thanksgiving was always the biggest shopping day when we were growing up, but I don't remember it being called Black Friday. I don't know when that started, but I know a lot of families, particularly, you know, on the on the female side where they're together for Thanksgiving and that's part of the thing while the guys watch football and that's great. But, you know, that's why God invented online shopping. Well, I just started doing it. Um I think it was last year. And um, it is a family thing. We we all kind of divide up and we go to line up for Goose Island's Bourbon County beer that is out one day a year. Hmm. It's on Black Friday. Hmm. There's lineups everywhere. There's my secret. It's out. Um, That's why you are a great American. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually the only woman in line. Um, but we, we line up and go and get that. It's amazing Bourbon County beer. So are you going to shop That's on? That's the only thing I shop on. You're going to shop Friday. on uh, Black Friday, Todd? Uh, a little bit. In the last couple of years, uh, my wife's cousin takes my four daughters uh, for the w- part of the weekend sleepover. They do their thing, and that frees Jill and I up to get some things done. So that that's a relatively recent tradition. Uh, no, I've never been shopping on Black Friday. I haven't had really much of a desire to. I, what I will be doing this Black Friday, aside from watching the Iowa-Nebraska football game, I've decided that either I'm going to bake my first turkey, yes, the day after Thanksgiving, or I'm going to put up my first Christmas t- tree. I have not decided what I'm going to do yet, but I'm going to do one of those two things. Quickly, uh, any special By family? the way, we have, our, we, we have a white tree. Finally talked Amy into doing it. My grandmother had it when I was a kid. I loved She had this white tree. It was so pretty. This year is the first time we're putting it up. I'm very excited. Very nice. Uh, And before the last question, Kim is responsible for these questions tonight. Well done, Kim. I always save it for the last so it doesn't sound like I'm trying to avoid uh, any blame. Uh, Last question. Any special family (laughs) uh, game played at uh, Thanksgiving? No, I mean, we don't mind playing family games. Everybody has the Dace competitive gene, so um, it has to be done in very short spurts. Otherwise, someone gets hurt. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm Someone's sh- crying. Yeah, I'm sure we'll play a few games of headbands, a few games of Mario Kart, a few games of Uno. Um, but um, uh, that, that'll probably be the extent for us. We'll play um, Sheep's Head and maybe Viking Chess. Currently, there is no such tradition or game. No, we got nothing. Not around Thanksgiving, yeah. Not in my family. I mean, a lot of a lot of us have to sleep off what we did the day before. We'll come back. Uh, the Nightly Buzz is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. of the battles he refused to fight. This is Steve Dace. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz, where we report back on some of the headlines we missed earlier in the show, as reported to us. 
by our producer, Aaron. And if you're wondering, who is, who is Aaron? Did you feel that lingering presence as you were violating company safety or, or, or firewalls today at work? As you were that looking warm. at things that were not safe for work and you felt like maybe somebody could hear somebody breathing over your shoulder. You turn on nobody. That was Aaron finding out what you were looking at on Facebook. Or maybe you're having that gossip session, uh, you know, there at the water cooler pretending to get a drink with a fellow coworker, and there's that lingering guy off behind that potted plant. And you know he's listening in, but it, it, he's far enough away that you feel awkward saying something. See, he, he's a mouth breather. That is Aaron right there. Hello. He, yeah, he has those headlines. We've got the hot takes. That's right. And I am every shadow person you ever thought you saw out of the corner of your eye. <laughs> First uh, story, Democrats in North Carolina have begun calling for Governor Pat McCrory to concede his re-election bid against Roy Cooper after coming up 6,500 votes short and having several recount and challenge bids denied. Thus far, uh, thus far, McCrory's not playing along. Politico reports that McCrory intends on challenging the results both more broadly and specifically his campaign alleges widespread voter fraud. This is going to be the easiest thing we'll talk about tonight. The same left whose media is is infested with stories about challenging electoral college electors and demanding recounts and Trump won by voter fraud has literally no standing whatsoever to tell Governor McCrory to uh, to concede. So this is this is an easy one, guys. Do you know any of the details about his broader governance there? Because him losing when Trump wins that state makes no sense to me. No, and of course the whole thing, if if indeed the, the results hold up, they'll blame it all on the bathroom bill. That's what they will say. Trump never took a position on that, won the state by four or five points. Yeah. McGrory championed it, and he lost his, his, his well, governorship. But wasn't the broader issue, we're just, we're sick of all this, we're, we're sick of this bias, we're sick of you I don't shoving know. your well, opinion you, down a You asked me a question. I'm not saying I agree with the narrative, I'm just saying the nar- that is the narrative that will be. Kim? I can't wait to see how this shakes out. I want to know why this happened, so it's too early for me. Uh, Next story, a transgender cyclist was the top women's finisher at an Arizona race over the weekend, besting the nearest female contender. So a guy guy beat a bunch of chicks. Let's Mm -hmm. make sure we put the actual language in there. Uh, Jillian Bearden, uh, 36 years old, became the first guy Guy. trans uh, uh, cross-dresser athlete to win the El Tour de Tucson in southern Arizona on uh, last Saturday, completing the 106-mile course with a time of 4 hours, 36 minutes, and 7.71 seconds. I want to make sure we have the exact time that he finished the race. Feminism is dead, or it never existed, or it's just been exposed as the scam that it always was, because the fact that feminists are not in the streets... Burning bras and losing their minds, Kim, over guys taking away opportunities like this from women, I think is 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 evidence of that. And you're going to see more and more of that going into you know your college um, sports as well. You know the U.S. women's national soccer team right now. They were they were just on 60 Minutes talking about what is the cl- closest thing to a legitimate argument about women getting the shaft uh, financially they their soccer team is far more successful they actually get much much better attendance and they have a, a pay problem 
But then they they go broad, broader than that, and I think it's it, it's a detriment to their cause by talking about pay disparities that are easily disprovable. Instead of pivoting into this area, this is insane. The U.S. women's soccer team has the notoriety they do because they're playing other women in the world. They would lose to every single other men's team in the world. That's just how things are. This needs to stop, and it needs to stop when the women who have been, as a as a gender, co-opted more as a percentage to the things of progressivism, that they need to put the brakes on this thing. Otherwise, all the legitimate victories that they, some of them did fight for are all going to go by the wayside eventually. Remember, locust people, locusts. Next story, New York City's largest borough by population, Brooklyn, is home to parenting workshops for post-election stress and, most recently, drag queen reading hours for children. Drag Queen Story Hour is a new reading series at two different Brooklyn Public Library branches. It was created to help parents expose their children to unconventional expressions of sexuality in an effort to normalize gender-bending behavior. Oh, these stories are fun. No. 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 That's it's why we're going to homeschool. It's why you can't have our kids. And it is why we will soon be inflicting them upon you uh, into the world. No. If this ever happens in my, pre- uh, in my presence, I promise you I will make a scene. It will be real. And it will be spectacular. And I want to be there to see it. Uh, let's see. Next story. Uh, the federal government is worried that America is too stressed out to deal with Thanksgiving dinner safely. So at least two separate departments have entered to help everybody live through the uniquely American holiday while also curbing global warming, according to... And uh, let's see, a statement from the Agriculture Department, quote, this week, millions of Americans will gather family and friends around the dinner table to give thanks. But for those preparing the meal, it can be a stressful time, not to mention many. It is the largest meal they've cooked all year, leaving plenty of room for mistakes that could cause foodborne illnesses. Also, the uh, USDA is offering tips to uh, cook meals to win applause and uh, had a blog out on Monday um, with uh, tips to avoid making everybody sick at the table. So nanny states again, even during Thanksgiving week. Isn't nanny state, Todd, they're just trying to help people? Is that, I mean, they're just saying, hey, you know, here are some tips to, you know, make sure the turkey's cooked all the way through, that you don't get anybody sick. Isn't nanny state, well, or is this just being helpful? Well, Aaron said, what, even on Thanksgiving week? No, especially on Thanksgiving week. All the places where you know, there are legitimate, Steve, you've talked about this. There are supposed to be legitimate safe spaces. The things, you know, we talked about sports where we, you know, we're on the left and the right, where we all root for the, the Packers or the Lions or the Cowboys or whoever's playing this weekend. But no, it, th- th- these are their moments. These are where they hijack life. Uh, these are where they let you know that they are in charge. And you have to see that for what it is. It is real, and you need to fight back. I mean, listen, unfortunately, you need to be prepared at Thanksgiving. Really? We can't just say they're just trying to be nice. Who's, every, who's I, they? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, literally, everything has a sinister motive. Everything. They're just 
They just don't want people to, you know, cook the left? Und- undercook the turkey. Yes, everything. Uh, you are asking me this? Yeah. You're still a conservative radio show host, aren't you? Yeah, but I mean, everything. You think you really think this is part of the the uh, the master plan? Yeah. Okay. You're listening to Steve Dace. And this is the Dace Group Roundtable, an abbreviated Thanksgiving Eve edition because we're going on Friday. Your weekly look at the week that was with a tip of the cap to the late, great John McLaughlin, who inspired this segment each and every week. Let's get to issue one. Good Trump, bad Trump. Transition to the new Trump administration has been nothing if not a mixed bag of good and bad so far. Appointing Jeff Sessions as attorney general, generally seen as good by conservatives. Chief advisor Steve Bannon touting a ridiculous increase in infrastructure spending generally seen as bad by conservatives. But this week, it seems, there was more bad than good Trump. Trump's business ties were back in the news, as now partially debunked reports stated he talked with world leaders about his various business interests. There was another report that Trump's daughter Ivanka attended a meeting with the Japanese prime minister. There was also the aforementioned chief advisor Steve Bannon touting that trillion-dollar spending plan. And the big news this week, Trump's campaign Campaign manager Kellyanne Conway confirmed Trump would be going back on his word of appointing a special prosecutor for Hillary Clinton's email investigation. This new administration is so far just like a box of chocolates. So the first question, um, is this par for the course today, what we've seen so far with Trump? Now today, as we talked about earlier this, this evening, he, he broke tendency today. Uh, Nikki Haley was not a shill. Betsy DeVos is a bushy. So these are the first two appointments of non-shillian proportions that he has made. So uh, overall, week two of the transition, what say you, Kim? What are you seeing? You know, I, I, this is exactly what we would expect from Trump. Good, bad, he's all over the board because I don't believe he really has a core worldview that you could actually um, bet on. And um, so it's interesting. We'll see what he does. And, of course, you were referring to somebody, anybody. Did someone talk about this before the election? Could have warned us ahead of time. That was a that was at least a distinct possibility. But alas, we're all blindsided by this. And and it's actually, you know, some of these things are very alarming. Um, For example, it is um, without a doubt his ties to foreign governments and um, his, you know, it causes an ethical dilemma. Um, that's going forward. That's not going to go away. So I expect... Now you look, well, so you look at the, the Argentinian story, for example, all right? So both the president of Argentina uh, and also our and, and, so, and the Trump transition team both deny that they discussed his business dealings on their uh, on their policy call. And, and then there's the Indian story as well. Yeah, but, but what is... So they both deny it. But we also know that there was there what there has been apparently some sudden movement on something that Trump had as a business dealing within that uh, within within that country. So it, the, the timing, Todd, could just be as simple as 
countries that want to get in the good graces of the American president just start giving favorable treatment to Trump's industries in order to curry favor. I mean, that, that, I don't, that wouldn't even require Trump being Hillary Clinton, right? I mean, wouldn't even require him using his perch to trade favors. Couldn't you just see world, countries just doing this unilaterally on their own in order to get, knowing how Trump responds to people who say nice things about me, couldn't you just see countries just unilaterally do this on their own in order to curry favor with him? That's business as usual, no sure. matter who's coming into the White House. Yeah, right. this is... But we've never had somebody coming into the White House with a global conglomerate holdings like this. This has never happened in the history of this yeah, republic. Yeah, so you, know, you, you kind of you to put your toe in the water and you, you see where this goes. But of course, there's, this is exactly what I thought. It's all over the place. There's no sense of ideology. He's uh, turning on constituencies. You know, Goldman Sachs. Now, hey, who's the cuck now? We might have a, we may or we may not have a uh, secretary of of education uh, who supports Common Core. You know what I what I think the, the real story is is of course how the press has been covering this. You know, covering a a two hundred person white national conference because of ties to uh, Bannon. You know, already with DeVos here. Oh, by the way, did you know she's against gay marriage? You know, going down. Did Did you know Donald Trump wants secret security clearances for his kids? That's the story. They can't help themselves. Donald Trump could end up being the most vanilla, safe, down the middle president in the in history yet he will end up being painted as i know we're not supposed to use them but they will do it he'll they'll paint him as hitler steve exit question give the trump transition grade them viewer at the teacher what grade would you give them so far kim completely inconsistent so um i'm going with a c same thing c go b minus I agree with Aaron. I would give them a B minus. But again, I, like we talked about at the top of the show tonight, I think this is largely driven, at least for me, I'm just going to speak for myself. My, my at times, cautious optimism, pleasant uh, surprise is, is largely driven by the level of expectation that I had coming in, which would admittedly was not very high. All right, we'll come back. Todd broached the subject of the media. We'll discuss more in depth next. Listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was an abbreviated Thanksgiving Eve edition because we're all gone on Friday. So let's take a look at issue two the media and Trump star cross lovers. A report from the New York Post this week detailed a meeting between mainstream media bigwigs and Donald Trump, and apparently it was not pleasant for those attending. Trump reportedly excoriated CNN chief Jeff Zucker, telling him he hates CNN and calling everyone on the network liars. Trump reportedly also kept harping on the notion that he was in a room full of liars and singled out several people, members of the media, in attendance for getting the election wrong. Whether or not this report is true, it illustrates a dynamic playing itself out early on between the Trump administration and the media. Early this week, most networks were in a frenzy covering a video from a meeting of the National Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. 
D.C., where the main speaker, Richard Spencer, a figure of the alt-right nationalist movement, encouraged those in attendance to perform the Nazi salute or something similar in honor of Donald Trump's victory. Couple this breathless coverage with various perpetuations of rumors the campaign transition is in disarray, despite the fact Trump is actually ahead of schedule from previous presidents. And it's apparent this coverage is a certain departure from the coverage most media gave Trump during the primaries and through most of the general election. All the while, the Trump administration seems to be digging in in opposition to the media. The ongoing relationship between the Trump administration and the press will be something to keep an eye on. Kim, I'm going to put this first question towards you. Has there been any evidence at all uh, that the media is going to change its ways following the election where they where they handed Donald Trump the presidency on a silver platter, I ask you. You know, that moment of self-reflection was just that. It was, it was just a, a, a moment. moment. It was just, you know, you had that, that time. Moment when the, it's, the, it's like that moment when the bacon is sizzling <laughs> and you think to yourself, I've had enough. And, you, and for a moment, you think for like that. Moment. For a moment. And then the moment passes, and you're back on the you track. You know, and they have that moment of thinking, could we be arrogant? Could we be? No. No, absolutely not. And they double down. So, um, you know, they're back to the same old stuff. Yeah, well, I alluded to it. I like to keep my thoughts when we do this fresh, so I don't look what the next category is. So you obviously know how I feel about the media. And the, the key was that level of self-reflection being carried out. The columns that were written, you know, we really need more ideological diversity. Well, okay, make it happen then. There's just no way. I, I had another conversation on Facebook. Their heads are so deep in the sand with my ex-colleagues. They want to turn it around and make it about me as if I, I was anything other than the redheaded stepchild that you would not let my career advance for 12 years. Now, I, I didn't do this. You did this to the... right. You are the problem, uh, but they, when this is yeah, I was I was I was on the team trying to beat him when all of those media people were gave him sixty times more coverage in the primary than anybody else. I was the one who stood up and said during the general, even to the d- detriment of my own business, this him as president presents some very serious issues. Have we really contemplated this? While many of my own listeners were screaming at me, "You're helping Hillary get elected." So, with, with all due respect, I, I really don't think that these are the folks to be lecturing us about about moral virtue. And this is the this is the moment, quite frankly, that cults wait for. You know, David Koresh down there. You know, whoa, we're surrounded now. Yes. Bring on the cameras, roll tape. This is our story. This is what we we wanted this attention. The, this is the press is not going to reflect. A couple of them, a handful of them are, but man, they they, they, they you, you, ever we've talked about ever since Watergate that everything has got to be Watergate for them. You th- you think they're not going to take that opportunity with this presidency? Oh, game on, Aaron. I have very mixed feelings about this. Mm-hmm. First of all, I am ecstatic that he he's beaten the media. Yeah, yes. he's beating them. He's, he's and and albeit maybe people with more a little bit more dignity and panache, but he has provided the blueprint going forward. He has shown he's pulled their pants down in public. The emperor has no clothes. These people, they even they got me on video advocating what a lot of people would define as sexual assault. They still couldn't pin it on me. All right, so I I'm happy as a conservative that's been dealing with media bias most of my adult life. I'm happy to see that he has defanged and beaten the media, but. As I've been saying since election night, just because we're glad the Marxists are gone doesn't mean Donald Trump's had a character transplant. All the same issues that, that existed 
are still there. What institutions will hold him accountable? Exactly. Because the media will not be able to do it. It won't matter what they catch him doing. Listen, they could have a recording of him saying to the Argentinian president, hey, I'll, you know, we'll build a military base there if you guys go ahead and give me that permit. And, and he would turn, come around. The, uh, it's Maggie Haver in the New York Times. They hate me. They're struggling. Loser paper. You're, Everybody knows they lie. And it's done. It doesn't matter if they get him on you're tape. You're so right. He is it an doesn't Aesop. matter if they get him on freaking tape, He's like guys. an Aesop's fable yes. come to life. Yes. yes. Yeah. That I, is problematic for a free republic. I don't care who's in power. That's, that's not good. That's the exact point that I was going to make. I mean, the, I, I thought before the election that the biggest loser and the faction in all of this that was going to destruct and go away, or at least uh, at the very, very least, not have any say in the nation um, moving forward, I thought that was, and we all thought uh, to some degree that that was going to be the Republican Party, right? Right. It's the fourth estate. It is. It is, it yeah. is journalism. Yeah. They because have that's no, a, that is a great point. There's no such thing as journalism anymore there's no such thing as finding truth anymore there's just dueling narratives so people will go to whatever outlet whatever platform that what validates what they already believe there's no dang i thought this was kind of stupid when we read this story a couple weeks ago about uh how the miriam webster word of the year was post-truth no that's that's true we are in a post-truth world well, I agree entirely. But this is this is something. Burn it down. Something. Something had to get burnt down. The media has been burnt down. Yeah, and, and and hopefully we see something within the next four years. You know, we not not directly like we thought with Trump TV or whatever it's going to be, but hopefully because of Donald Trump, we do get something resembling a new media, whatever that is, to fill that vacuum. That can find yes. All right, yes or no, is the media's reputation recoverable? Exit question, Todd. No, and it has, it's been that way for quite some time. I mean, before Donald Trump, it had pitiful ratings, so no. Tim? In its current formation, no. Aaron? No. You guys are all right. I mean, of course, that's a low-lying fruit question, but I'm feeling charitable on a holiday. It, it, the answer is no. I mean, they have to not rebrand. They're going to have to reinvent themselves. And the way that they have to reinvent themselves, the first step is they have to redefine or broaden their definition of diversity. Until they do that, they're dead as a doornail. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up here on the Dace Group Roundtable on Thanksgiving Eve. Coming up, Worldview Wednesday looks at the worldview behind Thanksgiving. You don't want to miss it. That's coming up in hour number three. But after taking a look back at the brief week that was, let's take a look at the week ahead. It is time for predictions. Todd, you will begin. It will eventually come out that if for no other reason than epic trolling purposes, that Donald Trump will have offered some sort of job ambassadorship, something like that, to either Bill or Hillary Clinton. Oh, nice. You mean like to Libya? That, I'm in. I'm in. If he does that. You're feeling me. If he does that, I am taking the red eye to, to, to Manhattan. I'm having a taxi drop me off in front of Trump Tower. And I'm going, Wayne and Garth, we're not worthy. We're not. If he does that, 
I will give him the we're not worthy if he submits Hillary Clinton's name as ambassador to Libya. Uh, the troll game is so strong on that. <laughs> I cannot deny his superiority at that point. Can I get a second on that? Uh, second. I, and all of God's people said amen. amen. If he does that, I'm in. Kim, your prediction. Um, my prediction is it's going to be Mitt Romney as Secretary of State. Which would be another non Shillian appointee. Yeah. And and now one to a very powerful and prominent position as well. I I'm I find it fascinating that a bunch of people told us that we had to vote for Romney four years ago because he'd make a great president. Are now out there telling us he'd make a terrible Secretary of State. You can't have How it is both that? ways. You can't have it both exactly. ways. Aaron? Um, this is not uh, for next week, but I, I believe the Sunday night football game this Sunday between the Chiefs and the Broncos is a preview of the AFC Championship game. And yes, I understand that means the Patriots have to lose at some point during the playoffs. I just think that the the defenses uh, that both Kansas City and Denver can field, can field, I say, uh, will get them deep into the playoffs. Oh, you made such progress earlier in this hour, uh, my young Padawan. But uh, still, you're not ready for the Jedi trials quite yet. Never bet against the the Patriots when they're pissed off that oh, they got right. busted for a scandal. Dang it! Can I take? Ever. No, I can't take that. Don't back. ever, Todd. Can I get a second on that one? Uh, for sure. Yeah. When when they when they've been caught cheating, and then they get mad that they've been caught. Put don't money. Be, don't, put don't, money yeah, on yeah, them yeah, for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Don't don't bet against that. All right. Here is my prediction. After and I'm changing it after I did a, a brief interview on the PBS NewsHour for a segment they're doing on their show this evening. I'm going to predict that a lot of well-meaning liberals are going to make a intergalactically idiotic mistake tomorrow. And they're going to go to their Thanksgiving dinners thinking that this is the occasion for me to self-actualize. This is the, this is the time for you to know why I'm so concerned about this election and how I f- feel about it. No, it's not. Thanksgiving's not about you. Thanksgiving. Give. As in... Outside yourself, they're giving you something. They're giving you a piece of their minds. Their Steve. wisdom. Yes. This is this is their feelings. Take it from a guy who can politicize everything. All right, this isn't about you. Uh, some relationships and moments and occasions are bigger than our disagreements. Tomorrow is one of them. You will do great detriment to your cause if you do this, which means you will probably do it anyway. The worldview of Thanksgiving is next. Listening to Steve Dace. I personally believe elitism, Marxism, atheist, government intervention, secular humanist, liberals and conservatives, materialism, nihilism, U.S. Americans, Christian, globalist, socialist, democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand? Life as it hits us in the face. Libertarian. Tea Partier. The free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. We are back with Hour 3 of the Steve Dace Radio Program, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. You are listening to Worldview Wednesday, otherwise known as your college philosophy class on the radio. And the good news about doing philosophy this late at night is regardless of where you're at, 
you're going to be satisfied. Because if you're still listening to the radio this time of night, that that either means, A, um, you can't turn your brain off. You're smarter than the average bear. You want to be challenged. That's good. You came to the right place. Or it means, B, you just can't get to sleep and you need somebody to put you down. Well, philosophy will make you go nighty-night. So either way, satisfied customers one and all here on Thanksgiving Eve here on the Steve Day Show. And don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Send us your feedback, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. This week, uh, we're going to talk about the legacy of Thanksgiving. What exactly are we going to be celebrating tomorrow? Almost every American, regardless of race, creed, color, religion, will celebrate Thanksgiving tomorrow. But almost every American really doesn't know the legacy of what they're celebrating, mainly because it's been taken away from us, stolen. I mean, we have witnessed in this last generation what amounts to a cultural hijacking that's what's taken place because if you can take away a civilization's past then you can grab control of their future especially a civilization started by values virtues principles traditions notions of pre-existent truth like the laws of nature and nature's god transcendence remove those things or at least pretend to because after all if they're transcendent and pre-existent they cannot be removed but at least pretend to remove those things and then you give yourself subconscious or open permission to chart your own path your own future find your own highway to hell no matter how dark the road you're going down really is. Now, this holiday we are celebrating tomorrow is a uniquely American one. And it was derived so that we wouldn't find ourselves one day in the shape we currently are. So that we would have a day of thanksgiving, of gratefulness, Humility, remembrance of where we come from and how far we've come and how we got here. Yet most of us, and I I count myself in this group, most of us, it's all about what time is the meal coming over. I have seen, or what what time is family coming over for the meal? What time are the football games on? And, and I'm guilty of this, too. You guys know I'm a big football fan. I, I have seen in my total or my Twitter timeline today, uh, it seems like 100 tweets to articles about how to talk politics with your family over Thanksgiving. Not nearly as many telling us what Thanksgiving's even about, how we got here. Tonight, I want to change that, or at least hopefully do our part in our little sliver of the broadcasting universe to do something about that. I want to begin by going into our past. The very first Thanksgiving proclamations in American history. 
I have, I have here in front of me here in the studio, the Founder's Bible. If you don't have one of these, you're missing out. It's a tremendous piece of scholarship, work, craftsmanship. It's gorgeous. It is, it's the Bible as you've never seen it before, meaning it's obviously the same Word of God that has been guiding us for the last couple of thousand of years, but it has, it, it, it's been supplemented with how we in our history as a people have applied these truths to our history, our way of life where specifically the words inspired here by Almighty God, our Creator, how they inspired us as a nation. On September 25th, 1789, the very first Federal Congress had just finished framing the Bill of Rights, otherwise known as the capstone of the Constitution. On that notable day, the official records of Congress reported the following, quote, Mr. Elias Boudinot said he could not think of letting the session pass over without offering an opportunity to all the citizens of the United States of joining with one voice in returning to Almighty God their sincere thanks for the many blessings he had poured down upon them. With this view, therefore, he would move the following resolution, resolved, that a joint committee of both houses be directed to wait upon the President of the United States to request that he would recommend to the people of these United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. Mr. Roger Sherman justified the practice of Thanksgiving on any remarkable event, not only as a laudable one in and of itself, but as warranted by a number of precedents in Holy Writ. For instance, the solemn thanksgivings and rejoicings which took place in the time of Solomon after the building of the temple was a case in point. That's right out of the Bible, Second Chronicles, First Kings. This example he thought worthy of a Christian initiation on the present occasion, and he would agree with the gentleman who moved the resolution. Mr. Boudinot quoted further precedents from the practice of the late Congress and hoped the, na- the motion would meet a ready acquiescence. The question was now put on the resolution, and it was carried in the affirmative. That's from the Congressional Record, September 25, 1789. Congress's recommendation was delivered then, to President George Washington, who happily concurred, issuing America's first federal proclamation for a day of prayer and thanksgiving. It declared, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor, now, therefore, I do recommend that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country. And also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue. Notice that Washington said nations, not just individuals, but nations have four duties. To acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, 
to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly implore his protection and favor. And this proclamation, along with several other calls to prayer he issued in his administration, was written by Washington himself, whereas other presidents had chaplains of Congress write theirs. This is one of just many American practices with a biblical basis. And it just so happens to be one of the very first. But I am sure here on this Thanksgiving Eve, many of you are hearing this for the first time. Uh, Maybe you have some rudimentary knowledge about some pilgrims on a Mayflower and a risky voyage and a miraculous Indian named Squanto who just so happened to know English and to teach them how to farm the land just so happened to know English and to teach them how to farm the land. That stuff just so happens a world away. It just so happens. But do you know who those pilgrims were? Do you know why they came? Do you really know what they risked? What would possess them to do what they did? Because 500 years or so later, it's exactly why we are here tonight. And we'll discuss it here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. The Bible and the Constitution don't just apply to Democrats. This is Steve Dace. gave the Thanksgiving message in our church on Sunday. And I'm sure it was unlike any Thanksgiving message anybody has ever heard at our church because it began with a 25-minute cartoon. I figured we needed to consult one of America's great historians, Charles Schultz. (laughs) Oh, good. So I I played, because we have it in our DVD collection, I played... Uh, a vintage uh, Peanuts special, which when I, when you and I were kids, Todd, this aired nationally every year. But it is the Peanuts telling the story of the Pilgrims and how they came here, who they were, and it's real history, the real history. It is very specific that about how, how much of a role their faith was a driving force in what they did and what they risked. And I, I asked our, our lead pastor, 
Pastor Bob, if we could make an exception for this service and have the children come in from Sunday school to watch this. Because they've probably never heard any of this or seen any of this. Sure. Uh, and, I, and I wanted them to watch it with their parents who, unless they're my age, my, Todd and I's age or older, have probably never been taught this, would have to go and seek this information out. It was not granted to them. And it was very intriguing to watch their reaction to this and to watch this and understand that this is in the form of a harmless cartoon. It is a watered-down, sanitized version of this history. Yet, if I were a government school teacher in almost any school district in America and I showed this to my children today, they'd threaten my tenure. Mm-hmm. And it's because your culture is being hijacked from you. The legacy of who we are as a people, like the legacy of Thanksgiving is being taken away from us. Uh, Because of copyright, I can't play this on the air. So let me summarize some of this history for you. For nine weeks, nine weeks, the pilgrims lived on this ship. A rickety ship. Halfway through, it nearly fell apart. In fact, it was deteriorating so fast, they debated amongst themselves whether to turn back or not. Because they were heading now into the most uncharted part of the trip and they had no idea what the seas would be like. They took their children with them. Unsanitary conditions. Food rationing. And when I say unsanitary conditions. Now when I say unsanitary conditions in, in 2015 what that means is a dude might have to find a tree. A chick might have to find some leaves. Or that's a really disgusting rest stop, right? Let me tell you what unsanitary conditions means in the early 17th century on a wooden ship. It means not only is there not a bathroom, but good luck having any privacy at all. You're essentially sailing on a latrine because you have all these people there and people produce waste, and the waste has to go somewhere. And they've got their children themselves. Think about the the things we don't want to expose our children to. Did they love their children any less? No. They were there because they may have loved their children even more. Why would they risk this? Why would they do this? Nine weeks of this, several of them died. When they finally arrived at their destination, so many of them were sick, they couldn't come ashore for many more weeks or months. And the Mayflower was essentially turned into a hospital right there in the port. First place they landed, there was no place to settle. So they had to get back in the ship with all these sick people. And understand, they don't have antibacterial wipes, folks. I mean, this is a test tube for infection and disease. Being uh, being one of the nurses, one of the women helping the sick, you're taking your own life into your own hands in the early 1600s. It is something we cannot even begin to wrap our minds around. As I sit here tonight in our studio, and what is it, Todd? we got... 10 different college basketball games on, football shows, 
and and I could turn the channel. We could watch home decor. Can't yeah. even begin to wrap our contemporary Western minds around this. Why? They came from England. That's a great place. What was the issue? The issue was freedom. But a very specific kind. And it goes back to a time before the pilgrims. There was a king named Henry VIII who was disappointed his wife, Catherine of Aragorn, had not provided him a son. And he wanted to divorce her. But the Pope at the time, who himself was not necessarily Mr. Ethical, he had already granted divorces. He shouldn't have granted. Annulments is what they called them at the time. Although it's hard to call it an annulment when you have children. At this point, however, because of Catherine's social standing, the Pope said no, no more. And angry the Henry VIII, rather than being loyal to his wife, decided to start his own church. Where he would have control. The government would have control over the church. What it taught. Who got to teach it. And to whom. It became known as the Church of England. Some of you know it today as the Anglican Church. This is where it came from. Entirely a creation from the, from the bowels of Henry VIII, his own imagination, a church in his image. Fast forward a century or so, and I can, I, I, I'm sure no one is shocked to learn a church created by a corrupt government official in and of itself. So it has no transcendent meaning, no transcendent calling. Doesn't trace its lineage back to a prophet or an apostle or even a Messiah. Traces its lineage back to what amounts to the most powerful bureaucrat in the court in the British in the British realm. That's that's their that's no transcendence there. Nothing prophetic or sacred there. It was extremely corrupted by the time we get to the pilgrims, who were originally called Puritans. Why were they called Puritans? We will explain next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. This is Steve Dace. And this is Worldview Wednesday, the legacy of Thanksgiving. This week's college philosophy class on the radio. So if you want to know why the pilgrims got on that rickety ship... You've got to know the history that led to that point. Henry VIII wants to divorce his wife, a powerful figure in Europe's, in, uh, in, in Europe's hierarchy because she hasn't provided him a son. Not to mention, uh, she was a very popular figure as well, a woman that was known for being quite graceful. 
and beloved by the people of England. So he couldn't taint her. Uh, he couldn't cast her aside. He asked the Pope for another annulment. The Pope said no more. So he created his own church that would give him what he wanted when he wanted it. And of course, when a man, even with as much power as, the, as Henry VIII had, detaches himself from that level of accountability, what happens next? Well, now we get to the period where Henry VIII starts murdering his own wives. Starting with Anne Boleyn, who he left Catherine of Aragorn for. Creates his own church to tell him what he wants to hear when he wants to hear it, essentially. Church starts out Catholic. In fact, he is, he is given, this is the time of the Protestant Reformation and the Catholic and Protestant wars. He is even given award, an award. Henry VIII is given an award from Rome, defender of the faith against the Protestants. Ends up completely going the other way, siding with the Protestants, burning Sir Thomas More at the stake, one of the great Catholic thinkers of the age. And then later on, turning, when the Protestant Revolution says, hey, we're going to take the words of these scriptures seriously, a whole sola scriptura thing, which means, by the way, we have no king but Jesus. You guys, you can't tell us, Henry VIII, what to say or think. We didn't want the Pope telling us what to think. And, we, and, and he was a religious figure. He actually had some street cred, and we weren't going to listen, let him boss us around. You think we're going to let some bureaucrat with not, doesn't even have a Pope, a papal legacy behind him tell us what to do? And all of a sudden, the man who was once the favorite son of the Protestant Reformation starts giving the Protestants the Sir Thomas More treatment. This is the church legacy of the Puritans. The Bible, of course, is the greatest bestseller of all time. You know what number two is? A book written by a man who is imprisoned. Wrote, a, wrote this book on walls with rocks and sticks. Called it Pilgrim's Progress. It was written by John Bunyan. Why was he in prison? Because the King of England, a successor to Henry VIII, demanded that the Protestant pastors license their sermons get a license to preach, he refused. Lost everything he owned and was thrown in prison as a result. This is why the Puritans, the pilgrims, got on that ship. They originally tried to purify the Church of England. And then it didn't take long to find out the people running the Church of England were just perfectly fine with its level of corruption. In fact, they were making serious bank out of it. They recalled the words of their Savior who said, you cannot pour new wine into old wineskins. So the Puritans became separatists. This has pretty much been the history of God's people, by the way. We, I'm not mentioning any names. You're probably a you know, GOP. Uh, throw this out there to some particular you know, institutions that have gone rogue and corrupt. But, but typically how it works for God's people is we will try to reform a corrupted structure from within, find out soon that doesn't work, the people running it like the corruption, and we'll just leave and form our own. Right? This is typically what happens. And this is why they got on that ship. They risked everything they had to get on that ship. And while they were there, when they arrived, when they were in port, they recognized they needed to govern themselves. Now, here's the thing. Not everybody on that ship was a Puritan. Several of the people were not. There were believers and unbelievers alike. Most of the crew were unbelievers, for example. So here we are in a new world. Believer and unbeliever alike has to work together. Their shared survival depends on it. 
there's some different value systems at play here, but they've got to figure out how are they going to exist together and and what will be the code by which they will govern themselves? What will be the agreed upon value system that they will hold one another accountable to? And what they concocted, what they constructed, became the first official governing document in the history of these United States. And the inspiration for every one of the governing documents in our nation's founding that would come later. It's not very long. It's only two paragraphs. It's called the Mayflower Compact. And inside the Mayflower Compact are five principles that are unique and vital to the founding and making of America. You're listening to Steve Dace. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to know where to find them. The Steve Day Show. Back here on Worldview Wednesday, the legacy of Thanksgiving. 200 words started America. Oh, these United States became free and independent states on July 4th, 1776. But you got to go back 150 years before that to these 200 words that are the source of the founding of this country, the Mayflower Compact. It begins with, in the name of God, amen. So the purpose is stated right from the beginning. In the name of God, amen, we whose names are underwritten, though loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, as in the King James Bible, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc., Those words are key. I will explain why in a moment. Having undertaken, meaning we got on this boat for this reason, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Those are the first few sentences of the Mayflower Compact. And honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and of one another, covenant and combine ourselves together, into a civil body politic. Here's a group of religionists whose first act when they finally reach their destination is to create a political pact. So much for religion and politics don't mix. (laughs) For our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony. The general good of the colony. By the way, this is where the general welfare clause, your constitution, comes right out of the Mayflower Compact right here. Unto which we promise all due submission and obedience, in witness whereof we have hereunder subscribed our names at Cape Cod, the 11th of November, in the year of the reign of our sovereign Lord, King James of England, France, and Ireland, the 18th, and of Scotland, the 54th, 1620. In this document, 200 words, are five principles that are the legacy of thanksgiving, that this nation is going to need us to stand for if we're going to preserve the blessings and favor God has granted this nation for future generations. Here they are. Number one, 
There is no law higher than God's law. And any human law that seeks to undermine God's law is no law at all. Boy, that is apropos for the day and day in which you live right now. They got on that ship and risked everything because the king said, I am God, not God. When I speak, I speak in effect for God. I can make you say things, believe things, do things that God says is wrong. And these pilgrims believe that to be so vile, so evil, so wicked. They risked even their own children for nine weeks on a rickety boat to get away from it. There is no law higher than God's law. Any human law that seeks to undermine God's law is no law at all. That is principle number one in that compact. Principle number two. We are to respect human governing authority, but we do not worship it. Note they give respect and reverence to the king, whom they are, by the way, rebelling from. All right? So how do you justify that? How do you reconcile that? Because he is the king. He is their sovereign, their dread, meaning they are to revere, to fear him, until he becomes what? Ungodly. Ungodly, until he claims, I'm not just... You're king, I'm the king of kings. Because no, that's not the way it works. That's why every politician, before they've assumed their office in the history of this republic, have taken an oath, Almighty God, a remembrance of who really is in charge, that yes, with this office, the trappings of which will come power, but the real power that you will be accountable to is your creator. And you cannot claim his power for yourself. And we will honor you, we will obey you, revere you, until you ask for that which God says you cannot have, or you command that which God says is wrong. And then the answer is no. Which leads us to principle number three. A government that claims it speaks on behalf of God, or seeks to replace God's word with its own, is to be disobeyed. That government is to be disobeyed. You are not to obey. But the courts say, Steve. Then you are not to obey. The courts are wrong, as was the court of King James. It was wrong, too. And if you can't disobey one federal judge with no power, then you look those pilgrims in the eye who took their little babies on that ship so that you would have the choice that you have whether or not to obey today. Had they not done so, you would have not even that choice that you have now. Principle number four, God's law blesses the believer and the unbeliever alike. There were believers and unbelievers on that ship. Now, what do I mean by God's law? Do I mean like every law in the Levitical code? Some will claim that. That is not what I mean. In fact, they had this very debate in the New Testament. They were going to all these Gentile lands now, and all the early Christians were all Jews. They were all circumcised, all ate by the Jewish dietary traditions. Well, what do they do with all these Greeks and Romans who are not circumcised? Who, who volunteers to be the deacon who circumcises all these middle-aged grown men? Anybody? Anybody up for that one? Who wants that? Nobody volunteered for that. All right? So we're going to circumcise all these, uh, all these Europeans? We're going to do that? All these Romans? All these Greeks? We're going to make them eat the way we do? And so they had an enclave, a council. And after days of debate and prayer, they decided, hey, some laws in the Old Testament are ceremonial. 
Some are civic, meant they were meant for the nation of Israel at that time. And then there is the moral law, which is the transcendent law. Don't murder, don't kill, don't covet, don't steal. That is the transcendent moral law. And that is the law that is the basis for all of the civic laws that founded this country. That's the law we're talking about. That law, those Ten Commandments, it blesses the believer and the unbeliever alike. And we have witnessed this in our own history. For 200 and almost 40 years, we have seen this. Believer and unbeliever alike was blessed for recognizing and obeying the laws of nature and nature's God. Which leads us to the fifth principle. And we'll conclude this week's Worldview Wednesday with that next. You're listening to Steve Dace. part of the problem don't bother getting out of the way stay right there and we'll run over you this is steve dace five principles from the mayflower compact that are required of us today to know and to honor and do if we're going to preserve american exceptionalism for future generations number one there is no law higher than god's moral law And any human law that seeks to undermine that is no law at all. Number two, we are to respect governing authority, but we do not worship it. When it asks us our allegiance, we are to say no. Because a government that claims it speaks on behalf of God or seeks to replace God's word with its own is to be disobeyed. That's principle number three. And that principle number four, then, is that God's moral law blesses the believer and the unbeliever alike. Those laws of nature and nature's God that founded the country. Which takes us now to the future and linking the, 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 our history with the future. Principle number five. This nation was founded by Christians who believed in the word of God and who sought to establish a civil society according to it. And it will only be preserved if believers today live out the same courage of conviction as our forefathers. Otherwise, it will be lost to history. Otherwise, it will be lost to history. We will be the generation Reagan warned us about. The ones whom one day will have to sit and explain to their grandchildren what it was once like in these United States when people were free. That is the challenge to us today. This is the legacy we are fighting for today. And the day has now arrived when the same persecutions that threaten our ancestors, which they came here to escape, they've come to our land as we speak. We already see the warning signs of what's to come. It always begins this way. Always. That is the legacy of thanksgiving. That's why we're giving thanks. That previous attempts in human history 
to inspire freedom and liberty that were thwarted and failed succeeded here. And they succeeded here, not because we wanted it more than other human beings wanted it. Or we are, a, our, our founding fathers are just a better class of homo sapien. But because of the providence of God, because they invoked the providence of God. And that we are to have days of remembrance, days of thanks, to remember that without that providence, we have no hope. That is the legacy to celebrate tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.